is Dave Dawson and over the next 50 minutes or so you'll hear two men of which I am one happily bantering and babbling away with their respective heads in the clouds clouds the band that is haven't heard of them you're not alone neither had I until recently but you should have heard of them when our studio guest met the keyboard player from Clouds, Billy Ritchie, while working as a jobbing singer at a notorious East End pub once owned by the Craze, the Scottish-born master of the organ mentioned an important aspect of his history as a musician. While comparing musical battle scars as one does when you take on a new gig, Billy Ritchie politely indicated that he'd invented prog. And it turns out... He really did. In my day job, I was a pub singer. Now I do care homes. Okay, I still do a pub. But um, back in 2002, something like that, um, I used to get a lot of work where I was just a, jo- a job-in singer and I'd be working with a keyboard player, a drummer. You don't meet them until you get there. No rehearsal. We just say, all right, never can tell in C, whatever, July or in whatever. Okay, you never met them before. Um... I I had a job come in to uh, play a pub in the East End and uh, it was exactly like in the Sweeney. And I said to my girlfriend at the time, I did not think these places existed anymore. Okay, it was a flock wallpaper. It was like like the fight scene in Get Carter when he goes up north. Exactly the same, okay? All the guys were in suits. Which pub? I have to know, is it still there? It was the Carpenter's Arms in Cambridge Heath Road. Oh, which I then found out was bought by the craze for their aunts. Yes, yeah. yes, down the road from the Blind Beggar. Yeah, it's yeah. around the corner. Mm. It's exactly, it's like walking into 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 the 60s, into the 70s. It's, it's exactly the same as, as it was. And all the guys were in suits. Fantastic. Anyway, I got to the job. It's a keyboard player there. Very amiable guy. Very nice guy. Drummer. Yep, lovely guy. Did the set. Mainly Sinatra standards, rock and roll, bit of jazz, da da da. Um, and uh, at the end, the keyboard player and I had a little chat, and he said, "Oh, you must like Frank Sinatra a lot. Then you do a lot of his songs." I said, "Not really." I said, "I sing because that's what people want to hear, and it pays the bills." I'm a prog head, but you—I won't bore you with that. You won't know what that means. He said, "Oh, prog. Um, I, I invented that." And I went, I, I beg your pardon. He goes, progressive rock music. I said, yes. He goes, yeah, I pretty much invented that. And I looked at my girlfriend. I was with her. So I think plugs off his. I said, but I, I said, it's, it's dangerous you talking to people that are prog heads because I am a proper 
prog head, okay? He goes, yeah. I said, what was the band called? He called, we were called the one, two, three, and then clowns. I said, I've never heard you, mate. Mm. But he was so nice and so amenable at the same time. But I said, but, but, but frog, frog, frog was invented by Crimson and, and Jelly Genesis. And, you know, the, the blueprints were like family and um, life in a doll's house, you know. Um, but all the things he was saying, the timeline of the artists he was talking about that he knew, I thought, well, a guy of this age would not know these people unless he was in that. But by the same token, I'd never heard of them. Um, so the first thing I got, I did when I got home was was, was Wikipedia, Billy, mm. you know, because well, normally when you meet people on the pub circuit, the, the, the drummer in this band, I said, what was your background? He goes, oh, I played in Jack Parnell's band. We, did, we, we were doing Generation. I thought, that's the timeline. That's where these people end up, all right? It's a gig. It's, there's nothing... There's nothing in over about working in the pub. It's money, and I thought mm. Billy's. I thought Billy's history would be the same. I thought he was going to say, "Oh well, I backed Tom Jones in 1967, and I did the Holiday Council for 30 years, and I'm now in the pubs." Um, but no, and I, I went and googled him, and basically said Billy Ritchie is the innovator of progressive rock music. His his playing style has been imitated and has been revered by Keith Emerson. Uh, Rick Waitman, he was he was he was championed by Bowie that called him a genius. You know, they've had this Halcyon residency at the Marquee in 1967, which is now seen as legendary. And then, as, as chance would have it, I, I had another gig with him. He got on very well, and the agent had another. I, I went down quite well, so I got another gig. And I went to him back back, and I said, "Billy, I've checked it all out. What the hell happened?" And he went, "I said it's like you've been erased." From the history books, he goes, oh, I raised, yeah, that's a good one. And that's the story. And I thought, I've got to know more about this band. As, as Especially, I kept on gigging with him. We'd become closer friends. And it's you think, well, I'm a prog head. There's thousands like me. Why, why does no one know who this band is when, it, when, when, they, when they did start it off? Well, I did an investigation on the band and then listened to clips which are available on YouTube obviously loads of references came to mind and they were all from bands who came to be many years after these recordings were, were done. That's right. And that's when I, I just thought, goodness, there really is kind of a three-year cloud-shaped gap in the history of yeah. prog rock. And I understand that they were managed by Brian Epstein from The Beatles and... Epstein had them touring the States and spreading that very embryonic prog sound from coast to coast. But it was Epstein's death in 1967 that left them also stranded in the US and forgotten while trying to spread that very unique sound in the, the summer of love it's, it's vital to the whole story it's, this, is the, this is the key to the whole story when they started by Billy's own admission she said we didn't write songs we would just embellish other people's songs you know so we'd so we'd do like a 20 minute version of somebody else's song we'd, we'd keep the hook in there but we'd put in weird time signatures it was the blueprint of progressive rock um, he, he said Vanilla Fudge he, he cites them a lot as being as being another band that were the responsible for doing the same things they were put they were put um classical arrangements within within the work and just spread it out over 20 minutes okay um 
and he said that when people initially used to go and see him, half the crowd would be absolutely baying, saying, what the hell is this? Mm. Okay. Like, sort of, fights nearly broke out. And um, when they played the marquee, the the, um, the owner at the time, who, that, who then cited them on Gloria Honeyford's show years later, he said, the best band I ever saw in my life. Okay. Mm. He come on stage at one point uh, where there was a, a borderline fight break about saying, listen, if you want to see Rhythm and Blues, go up the road to the 100 Club. This could be the future, okay? And um, he said that the crowd was mixed up between people that were just, like, baying for blood and the pretend, what became prog and rock royalty just looking at make, making making notes. I, I, I said in um, an article that I wrote, they were, they were make, making more, like, photocopies photocopies the notes because it was like the, it was like the royalty of prog just looking and what happened was sadly when they went to America it was a big deal when they were signed it was in the Scottish papers this is the new Beatles etc Brian Epstein was taking a, an interest this is the future when they were in America sadly Brian Epstein died and I think the guy that was taken with it I think Stigwood was was taking an interest mm. in him. Well, he was drafted and was taking an interest in him. The name Terry Ellis is coming to me as well for some reason. But he was mainly Stigwood. But because Stigwood um, was more interested in promoting uh, Jeff Rotel and the Bee Gees um, at that time, Clouds just floundered, and they were just working in cabaret clubs and like working in in, in ill thought out gigs, you know. Where where they weren't, they were just working in vaudeville clubs. I mean, they did, they did play Fillmore East as well. They played with Hendrix and they played with some very very big people. But crucially, that year was lost. And in that year, that's when the floodgates opened and all these people that were influenced by them came in. And uh, Billy said when he came back, the first gig we did, we thought everything's going to be fine again. We played the first half an hour and people said, "You just sound like the nice." And he's going, you know, they kind of... Sounds like... <laughs> yeah. What do you think would have happened to the career trajectory of Clouds had Epstein not died? I think... And this is, this is, with, this is having... Billy's a close friend of mine now, OK? By his own admission, they couldn't write songs. Okay, they were they were a live band embellishing other people's songs. Okay, and it wasn't until they found their feet they started to write some really some really good songs. Mm. Um, and this is what he says to me as to what happens with the business now. In those days, apparently, you had like three albums you could find your feet. Now it's like a single and you're out. Okay, but he said that in those days artists were allowed to develop. Okay, and, and find their feet. I've asked him the question often as to what as to what would happen, and he said that he doesn't know. But he said we were starting to find our voice at the time where they all went pear-shaped and, and, they, and they were dropped off the label. I suppose if they had a bit of a gap in terms of songs and whatnot, that had Epstein not died of an overdose and with Apple Core eventually coming to be in the subsequent years, I mean, the whole idea of, of that company although if that ended terribly yeah. uh, financially, uh, was to have a, a cross-pollination of songwriters and people from the, the stable of, of acts kind of helping each other. I think in those days, people didn't know how long rock and roll would last. And yeah. I think it was thought that for the Beatles, it would enable them to have a longer shelf life and they could be writing songs for for new artists, you know, people like Badfinger and, and yeah. uh, acts like that, you know, people that they were taking on. And um, 
And I just wonder if under Epstein's control, if, if you know, more would have been done. I mean, it showed a great deal of foresight on Brian Epstein's front because ultimately he also managed Scylla Black and Clouds are a very different sounding proposition. But I understand he also had feelers out to um, possibly um, handle... Jimi Hendrix as well, but um, Hendrix was well under the the thumb of uh, Chaz Chandler. Yeah, Billy uh, said he met Billy said he met Jimi Hendrix very early on. He, mm. uh, Hendrix was one of their gigs. He said he's a really shy man, very unassuming mm. man. And it's, 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 unless it's, he was on stage, yeah. Sometimes he it was taken as arrogance and standoffishness. He says, but the guy just was just so humble, mm. you know. But um, what Clouds had was this. He, he had a certain way of playing, Billy. And uh, he told me a story once, which I'm not sure if it's public knowledge. Or not, I don't know. But um, the guy, the the is it was it Vince Crane who was in Atomic Rooster, the, the keyboard player. I think so. I think it was mm. whoever it was. Mm. Apparently, had seen the Hammond that Billy had, and he said, "Look, I've set my Hammond exactly the same as yours, and yet I can't get the same sound, even though it's the same bit of kit." And then. Billy demonstrated to him that he was playing the lead lines on both keyboards. Oh, right. So having a massive sound. Yeah, exactly. An, an octave, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is what, which is why they just needed a bass player and a, a drummer to, to complete that sound. He was like a one-man you know, force, you know. Um, but... Uh, I don't know what would happen. I, I don't know what would have happened. It was it was clear at the time that, that music wanted something new, and he said that's because the, the, it was obvious from the way that the reaction was so polarised at these gigs that they were doing that they wanted the people were looking for something new, you know, the days of twelve bar, you know, twelve bar blues, etc. And mm. and with psych with, with psychedelia coming in, the right was on the wall for something. I don't know the way it would. I, I don't know the way it would it would have gone. Because a lot of the pop, a lot of the songs that Clouds did were like poppy songs, but if you listen to like the the early stuff like Can't Sweat and What Kind of What Kind of Days, it's just pure ELP. It's pure King Crimson. <laughs> It's the blueprint. It's absolutely the blueprint. Absolutely. Uh, I was quite shocked. Yeah, so was I. I was expecting yeah. it to be a, a, a far more stripped-down version. No, it's but... not, is it? It's fully formed, isn't it? <laughs> and with all respect to the, you know, the late Keith Emerson, you can see where he got a lot of tricks. I think, I think he taught him a bit. Mm. And I know that when... One, two, three did one of their first gigs that Keith Emerson was there and uh, saw the setup of, of Clouds, which is just bass drums and keyboards. And uh, by the account that I've been told, he kicked his guitar out of the next, he kicked his guitarist out the Oh, the to have the same lineup, yeah. to have the same yeah. recipe. Billy always said, he said, that he said that the, the nice had a hex on us, they hated working with us because we'd always do the business. And it was one of those, it's kind of like a thing with uh, Michael Jackson and J- Justin Timberlake. Well, they, they, <laughs> the latter doesn't want, to, doesn't want to meet the former because that's where the influence, so they've got to deny that they ever, that they, that's the thing you see, when clouds didn't break through because of going to America, a lot of people with selective memories claim never to have heard of them. Right. And then obviously ELP um, took America by storm. Yeah, that's and right. with... 
a lot of tracks which are quite poppy on the surface, but then with extended solos, you know, very much the same. Well, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard the um, the version that Clouds did of America? They did a version of America before by Paul Simon. No, oh, this story is fantastic. They managed to get a, at the time. Paul Simon was just was just doing folk clubs, wasn't they? Mm. When he was trying to break it in this country, and um, they were on the same label. Clouds on the same label as as as, um, as Paul Simon, and they had a demo version of America just on guitar. Okay, and Billy placed, listened to it. and He went, "This is. I reckon we could do something with this." In the way he's, he covered a Bowie track as well early on as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, if you listen to there, there's a recording from the from the 1967 Marquee residency of them of them doing America before anybody knew what it was. So everyone thought it was like, it was a Clouds song, and it has got everything. Okay, it just sounds like it's pure prog heaven. I really need to check that now, out. There's 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 a version of that, and at the end you can hear the audience screaming. Okay, mm. it's just I've never heard a reaction like that picked up off of like a, a bootleg recording. Now a lot of the a lot of the prog forums because a lot of the prog forums are in denial of the fact that clouds are the blueprint yeah i know i know he, he, they can yeah, really he does become he gets as annoyed as i do about it yeah sniffing they, they, they even say well that crowd noise was obviously put on afterwards and this 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 is not a live recording from 1967 this was done in 1974 you know mm. it's like there's this denial of the fact that they are so important because prog heads think they know everything and i'm one of them okay we don't like to think we've missed something you know <sighs> So their legacy has kind of been sort of, you know, neglected on a few, on a, on, a, on a few different levels. The, the collective memories of some of these musicians that took the sound, for, conveniently forgetting that they ever saw them, and the prog fans saying, "Well, we don't know about them, so obviously they couldn't have been that important." Purists can go overboard a bit, and then the fandoms of particular prog bands. It's akin to Justin Bieber today, where it's their gods can do no wrong. Mm. I thought I knew a fair bit about prog, and then suddenly to be told about this band from Bruce Thomas's book, which is I not know, a prog book, was just so random. Yeah. And instead of trying to berate, I thought, brilliant, wow, where did this well, lot come from? What, what's interesting there as well is when I first met Bruce, I, I met Bruce from 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 uh, a position of not knowing who he was. As I said to you before, we would just become like friends out of me having no knowledge of, of what his background was. And I just happened to mention to him once. I said, "Look, I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get a." Um, interest in this band called clouds i told the whole story about about meeting billy in the pub i said this is a this has got to be a, a book surely because this is uh these guys pretty much invented state stadium rock without knowing it mm. um and he said oh god he was a fan i couldn't believe it he said i haven't heard that name for years and apparently they were and also if you look in pete townsend's book who am i there's a list it's on one of his diary entries in 1967 was must see clouds they were really on, on, on the verge of it happening, but it, it, it just didn't happen. What a shame. And yeah. Billy's obviously had a lot of time to ponder the, the what-if questions. Yeah, what, what he says is he said, that, he said that the music business is littered with, with rock and roll casualties, you know, in it, and they're, but for the grace of God go I, but it could have been any of us that made it and, and, and any of us that didn't make it. He, he was good friends with, with um, Jethro Tull. He mm. said, Jethro told you started. These stories are amazing. He says, Jethro started just as this little blues band. And uh, the reason why Ian Allison called the album, the first album, This Was, was because he was already 
making himself aware or making the fan base aware you're not going to hear this bluesy stuff again we're going a different direction because he wanted to get away from this whole Fleetwood Mac and mm. the whole blues explosion and, and um, he said when he used to go around his house he was, he was just playing Serenade for a Cuckoo it was the only song he knew on, on the flute but he knew he had to get an angle to get he certainly got an angle I mean goodness uh, you know Jethro Tull seen as one of the pioneers of yeah. you know prog but they were great friends rock. yeah they were great friends, and, and Bowie was championing them right right from the start. But Bowie had this um, thing that he liked to be around people that were going to be the next big thing, and mm. he, he saw as Billy as as being that. He used to, he was he was in awe of him. Now I've not seen any photos or footage of Clouds performing live back in the day, but you were telling me off air that the performances were a big spectacle and yeah. he'd be rocking at Hammond yeah, he, he back wor- and forth. He worked out that the, reverb, that the reverb unit would make a hell of a dinner if, if it was on the floor and he used to make this thing of rocking it out across and, and dropping it at the end and of course when the band leaves the stage it's like the who with the feedback thing you know the, the, the show's still going on after, after they've left the stage but he, he told me that he'd been in situations where he'd be walking backstage one way with his entourage and Emerson would be the other way and he'd, he'd just he'd, he'd but he'd turn around and, and, and walk off. There was because there was this collective thing of we can't say where it came from. That's what's and it's only with the with the revisionists and the people that are looking back now and saying, Well, this must be the missing link. I always like to see similarities of musicians from specific eras. Obviously, if you were to look at English guitar players like Mick Ronson and T Rex, different kinds of bands similar guitar sounds using very different gear but it's not surprising because they would have been growing up listening to similar things their palette of what pumped their nads musically would have been very very similar and it seems in the prog world that's not allowed no. you know you you can't <laughs> there has to be an originator um well it seemed like it was born out of their inability to write songs initially in that they were just stringing out other people's standards and mm. putting these and putting these elements into the music, like as I said, the, the, the classical and the, the time signatures to spread the thing out, and that became what the blueprint of prog was. You could take a, a three-minute pop gem and turn it into a fifteen-minute exploration yeah. with reprises where people that needed to hear those songs would be getting what they wanted, and while doing so also being able to flex the the musical muscle and yeah. uh, prog is a a great kind of british movement it's a, it'd be nice if there's more solidarity and respect for those originators i think it's it could be just disbelief in the fact that it it's, it was that one cru- crucial year that they lost when they were in the wilderness mm. and rather than building the, i mean you know, it's, you know, it's to crack america takes forever doesn't it mm. but it had they stayed in this country had they sort of but built on that marquee residency, things could have been a hell of a lot different. He said John Anderson from from Yes used to uh, be there sort of voluntary roadie just so just so he could get into the gigs for nothing. And he's John Anderson said this this is my favourite band. Now John Anderson recently said a couple of years ago he came out and he just re he re re-emphasized the importance of clouds because it doesn't matter anymore. Especially with him not being in in, in Yes, you know, he, he did come back and say, look innovators and a lot of people are saying it that's a bold thing of anderson to say that because yeah. you know he 
Anderson will perform solo and they're going to be yes and prog purists only up to gigs who probably will berate him. The other thing is that Fripp mentioned... He, he, he saw Billy a few years later and said, well, I did see you at the marquee. There was something missing. I don't know quite what it is. And then Billy went back with an expletive-laden answer, which I can't say on the air. But oh, it, you what he can. was basically... It's really bad. <laughs> Are you sure? It was really bad. <laughs> you can fucking okay, swear. Okay, okay. He said, uh, well, he said there was something missing. I don't know what it was. And Billy goes, that's because you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> but what he was trying to imply, he said, people in, in their presence, people couldn't walk away from me because it's obvious that they knew me. So they had to come back and say something acknowledging that they existed, but not saying... We that you influenced us in any way. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Now, Billy, you've been in contact with the rest of the band. Have you had any? Yeah, they 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 um they're all talking. I think one of them was working with Steve Hackett for a while. And uh, right. did did you know about the Hunky Dory story as well? No. All right. As in the David Bowie. Yeah. Album. What what happened there was that um David was was good friends with Billy, and um one story he told me was that he he come round his house but he said Bee Gees this band's going to be big so I've written a song that sounds like the Bee Gees and it was Space Oddity and I said to Billy doesn't sound anything like the Bee Gees he said listen to the first demo version okay and just put the Bee Gees in your head and you're going to hear the Bee Gees rather than rather than Bowie Ground control to Major Tom It was like almost a pastiche. When Bowie went down a little bit after after Space Oddity, what has been lost, what have been lost in the musical passages now is that there was a time after Space Oddity where he couldn't get arrested. Okay, mm. okay, and he saw him after doing a particularly lackluster gig where even though David Bowie played very well, it wasn't happening. Okay, so he came off in a huff apparently, and Billy said, "Hello, David," and David blanked him. And Billy being Billy, never forgot it, okay? And then uh, he got a phone call from Bowie a few years later saying, look, I'm putting together demos for this album called Hunky Dory. Would you like to come and play keyboards on this song called Life on Mars? And Billy goes, I have forgotten that you didn't say hello to me two years ago. Things haven't changed between us. Put the phone down on him. Yeah. And, uh, but what David did was got the other two members of Clouds... And they played on the demos for Hunky Dory, right? And I said to Billy, if you if you had a little been a, had been a little bit more balanced than that phone call, you could have been the keyboard player on Hunky Dory. And he said, he said, Dave, the worst thing about this is that I look back now and say, I said hello, David. It could be you just didn't hear me. <laughs> I can't guarantee you actually heard me say it. Oh no! Also, if it was a lackluster gig, he may have been in a horrible mood. <laughs> Oh, his ears ringing from a dodgy monitor mix. So things could have been different there. He could have he could have been in the, in the touring band. Suddenly there's knows? a 1970s rebirth that could have happened. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Because he was always seen as a genius, mm. as a player. You know that that even in that pub I could see there was something about him. The way he was playing was different. You know, you don't lose that innovation, do you? Oh, certainly not. So I don't know if he'd have, if if he'd have gone on a prog. I don't know. I don't know. There's songs on. Like Clockwork Soldier, he went through a very avant-garde 
sort of period. And I don't know what had happened. Who's to say? He's still alive and well and out there playing, which is in itself a thing of beauty. Who cares about the venue? If you're out there doing it and you're loving it, is he, does he still enjoy it? That's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah, uh, then, and when then you he's, talk to he's him, blessed. I, I see him quite a lot and when I can. And his stories, it's just, it's just incredible. He was good friends with the Idol Race and Jeff Lynne and, yeah. This is this thing. When I first met him, I thought, how is this bloke checking all this names at me? And if he's a bullshitter... Mm. This is pretty good stuff. And then it turns out it's all completely true. The missing link between many very influential strands of music. They are being uh, reappraised. James Alexander, who runs their website, has just written a book about them. Mm. But who's to say? There is a groundswell. I'm definitely seeing more people know about them now than they did like when I first started to get interested. The fact that we're talking about the band now is, you know, I think very, very indicative of the fact that uh, I think a rebirth is happening slowly and there's a well, ripple well, Clayson, effect, hopefully. And- my, 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 my friend, I'm lucky enough to have a friend called Alan Clayson, who's a rock journalist, and uh, um, I, I prodded him with this story a few years ago and he, he, he wrote a piece for Record Collector on them. And when it came out, Billy just got letters just saying, my God, you were just the best. What happened? You know, or, or now we understand now what happened, you know, but when we saw you at the height of your powers, nobody could touch you, you know. Mm. I'd like to have Billy on the show. I think he'd have a, many a very interesting yarn to spin. Well, I can talk to him. That's all I can. I can't Indeed, promise yes. anything. But what I can say is that he's, 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 he's a lot more receptive now than he used to be. I can imagine that's a bitterness. Pe- people, yeah. People are people do take notice now I saw like I can't make any promises but I, he yeah. is, he's not too far from me and one thing he'd said to me he said he said being being a pub musician is the worst most critical brutal circuit you can be on in that you know if you go on and do two hours and you can do Neil Diamond you can do this it's expected of you but if you were to do it and act in the stadium doing that they call you a genius the fact mm. he can go, oh, he can do rock and roll, he can do country and western, it's expected. You've got to do everything. Mm. And in often kind of thankless circumstances, Absolutely. you have to have the talent, stamina and a great deal of patience. Mm. Were you singing and playing guitar or were you there just primarily just as a, a vocalist? Just a vocalist. Right. And then, as I said, I spoke to him afterwards, expecting this history to be the same as the drama. Oh, I used to play in, on cruises or, or play in Jack Parnell's band mm. or be the house band at the BBC second keyboard and then he hit me with that I invented prog that's one hell of an opener for a yeah. conversation yeah <laughs> and as I said the, the names he was chuckling in the mix I thought on the one hand this bloke must be a bullshitter because I'd have heard of him but on the other hand this is all linear and a guy that age won't know these names unless they were in the thick of it Mm. And then you go home and check it out, and it's all it's all there. Just a picture of Billy, like almost like a lithograph picture, just him rocking rocking the Hammond in about '66. You know, it's tragic, really. I think Emerson even possibly stole the look as well. They it's uh, they could be doppelgangers at a, yeah. you know, if you look at a certain era yeah. in particular. But who's um, to say? We raised an issue there for in a parallel universe. If clouds hadn't existed, would there be prog? It probably would exist in a different form, wouldn't it? Perhaps with less of the mythology and I think maybe it would have been more of a kind of a, a musical entity rather than... I don't want to, to go down the hippie mystical route, but 
it, it makes me wonder if it had deviated from that, what would Prague have become? It's, it was always very parochial and very English and very mm. British, wasn't it? Part of the charm of Prague is that, with, especially with early Genesis, you're singing about people sitting on lawns, aren't you? It's, yeah, it's village life. It's, um, it's kind of rural liddles and songs written yeah. in barns. And, and, and it, singing it, about fine fare and Tesco's. Mm. You know, it is. It's. It could have come from no other part of the world in in that form. Mm. But certainly, musically, you can see you know a great deal of kind of American influences in early prog. Uh, you know, had done. You know, in in vocally, you know, some phrasing which you know might recall you know Motown in places and R and B, but uh, only slightly. You know, it's yeah. it's you know if you hear Peter Gabriel or Anderson or uh, both Andersons. Um, yeah. You know, th- these are very unique vocal styles. You can tell that they're British, not just on the, the subject matter. And the subject matter is one thing. I mean, whether or not Clouds would have embraced that aspect as much, the jury's out, would it have become a bit more muscular and heavier? I, I don't know. I mean, because those early recordings are very heavy for 1966, 1967, at a time in which people have been blown away by seeing Hendrix for the first time. Yeah. This was a keyboard version of that, you know, predating... ELP. I've even played the stuff to people that aren't in music, aren't mm. musical heads, and said, "Look, if you listen, listen, listen to the Carpenters' song or Cold Sweat, and tell me what it sounds like, and they don't know what ELP means or what the nice means, but they mm. go, it just sounds like early seventies music, which means, yeah, which is instead you know, mid to late sixties yeah, music. So it's yeah, but what, what, what you said there is quite important because I, I've had a conversation with people about this in that America. The reasons why a lot of American, a lot of English bands do well in America is because they sound English, mm. like the Kinks, Squeeze, Beatles. The reason why Robbie Williams never broke it over there is because he was going there as a, he was going over there as an American cabaret singer. They don't like hearing their own stuff. They mm. want to hear something because they still think that we do dress in white and go on our lawns every day. Well, with we, we do, and we will be doing that later. Yeah, that goes without saying. But yeah. that's yeah. Not, we're not everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, British blues rock is a thing of, of, of beauty, but you can clearly see here are the influences, yeah. here is a version yeah. that's been put in that's the musical right. liquidizer and then delivered back to American. M- you know, music music is a growing entity and there's nothing wrong with that. What Peter Green had done for guitar playing, you know, he made that his own. What a tremendous yeah. uh, slant on things. Prog is a very different beast. A band like Yes or King Crimson, you know, could not have come from Spokane, Washington. Which is interesting when you look at North American bands who have been inspired by that world. I mean, if you take a band like Rush, yes, you can hear a great deal of Crimson and Yes. And and, Led Zeppelin, absolutely. I think it's that, uh, with a little, little bit of the Who thrown in. But you mix it all up and, you know, suddenly you have the birth of north american stadium rock and you know it became its own thing which is a thing of beauty in its that, own way that's interesting because if you look at what the genesis before the pun of a lot of bands like yes was mm. there was no inclination that they were going to go this route if it hadn't been for clouds because mm. they were just doing beatles covers yeah, with a bit of psychedelia yeah. thrown in, perhaps a bit folky in places rather than being but it, but it was still neoclassical. Mm. There was nothing, nothing to equate that passage to what they ended up doing on on like Time in a Word or, or the first, you know, the first couple of albums. Mm. So I see Clouds as being maybe it was subliminal. I don't know. I don't think it was. I see Clouds as being the link for a lot of these bands to take the jump and say, well, this is maybe the direction we should be going in. Because mm. you look at their histories, it's like Spinal Tap. They all come from jobbing little R&B bands. 
mm. or a covers bands. There was nothing. It just seemed so strange that they all hit this strain at the same time after a band, a, a very after a very innovative, innovative um, marquee set and a, the the germ of those early performances. Performances that band then disappears for a year. And people decide to, uh, instead of following, just uh, and trying to ride on the coattails to be that pair of coattails. Yeah. Or coattails and pairs, it doesn't matter. After Keith Emerson passed the other day, I thought, I've got to play Tarkus again, just the first side. It's, mm-hmm. it's a masterpiece, isn't it? You can't, you can't make music any better than that. like music from space wasn't mm. it I'd never heard anything and I did I can hear Billy in there but I don't think he'd taken I don't think he'd have taken that path I think he'd have become a songs person I think because the stuff at the beginning of Tarkas is like God similar era but the path that Hendrix was heading in was to become more songs based you know I don't I think the, the pyrotechnics would have Start to become reduced. He was start if you start if you see footage of Hendrix's kind of final concerts. He was taming all of that, and it makes me wonder whether or not no, I, I, done that. I heard that he was going. Maybe this is urban myth. I don't know. Mm. I heard that before he died, he was he was about just about to do something with with ELP. Really? Look it up. It but, might it might have been a bloke in a pub talking to me, but I've mm. heard that from a. That's what I thought. So a band that uh, in a previous form had chucked out the guitar player was going to then take one of the I think if he was alive now, he'd probably just be doing internet-only recordings because people have just like left him alone. He'd have gone so out, mm. so out of there, so out there. I mean, apparently just in... A bit like Scott just, Walker. Got gone so out oh, there so you that he's only, be- he's only got his hardcore left and, that, and they're, you know, even they're like struggling. <laughs> Because he was, I mean, bless, as you know, it was 1970 arrived. I think concerts during that particular era were were dreadful because, you know, it became rife with riots and people being annoyed at having yeah. to to pay, you know, mm. hence a lot of the stuff which was happening in the backdrop of the Isle of Wight Festival. And um, some of the bits of footage which you can see of kind of Hendrix's last European tour where he was ending the shows early where people were being quite, quite nasty, not... To him for being Hendrix was just because he was a performer up there getting paid, and the um, the summer of love had most definitely yeah. ended by the time 1970 arrived, and um, and just a, a couple of the the kind of improvised bits that you could see Hendrix doing as a great concert, which was recorded in just outside Atlanta a couple of months before his death in September, in which. You know, he seemed to be more at ease with kind of bringing it down a bit and not having stuff with loads and loads of, of feedback. That's not to say that he wouldn't want to employ that, but I think he was starting to become mindful of a spectacle over content being assessed. And I wonder whether or not uh, kind of Billy would have gone down kind of a, a similar route because there's a point where, right, you're doing all of that with the hammer and you're rocking it with wild mm. abandon, but are people singing your songs? And I think sometimes your self-worth can be... Yeah. Hard hit by that. 
but you know who's to say prog went you know one direction and then the the poppier side of of things you know went from psychedelia to you know to glam and all of those offshoots and see i think prog thinking about it would still have happened because we still had family and we mm. still had the moody blues stuff but if you listen to the stuff that was more about extending the songs and putting jazz in prose in no one was really using the keyboards before or after mm, like really no. richie was mm. so i do you, want, do you yeah, understand oh, what I'm saying? I agree yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think it, it would have been a, a different entity, would have been, been less overwrought. And I don't mean that as, a, as an insult. I mean, prog by its very nature, you want it to be over, yeah. overwrought. Yeah. You're not going to listen to Relayer by Yes and, and want it to be straight. Mm. You know, first side is phenomenal. I mean, I remember mm. as a kid hearing that and it yeah. was like, what is this? I don't understand it. I need to. Mm. And... Um, Listening to the Moody Blues isn't going to be challenging. Not that it isn't interesting, not that there, there aren't sort of beautiful yeah. sonic landscapes being visited, but I hate saying this, but you know, you'd know, you see more women at a Moody Blues gig than you would at a Yes gig. And do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. more songs-based. With, with, the, with the neo-prog movement as well, when it, when it started, when they brought it up with Marillion and Palace and IQ and Twelfth Night, and even with the new wave of British Heavy Metal movement, you'd never see a woman. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> No, it's going to be a pissed off girlfriend or a wife or um, She's a designated driver. She's a designated driver. <laughs> well, I got myself a DUI, so like, <laughs> got Sheila to take me to this gig. Before any prog-loving women write in to protest their treatment on this show, we were only talking about the typical gender breakdown that one can find at a prog gig. If you are a rare exception, rather than just a designated driver, a prog-loving lass, that is, we welcome you with open arms. And if you're just the designated driver, we still welcome you with open arms. We're just that kind of people here at the Dookie Radio Show. And the Dookie Radio Show was well and truly transformed into a prog den in this episode. But our conversation about music, prog or otherwise carried on long after the recording button had been turned off. Like the subject of today's show, Billy Ritchie and his band Clouds, our guest, David Dawson, is an intriguing character and it was a positive delight to have him in the studio. You've been listening to David Dawson Discusses Clouds. My name is Dookie and I've been your host. May the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Facebook. Click on your mouse to our Facebook page. Facebook. Easy to find, it will not take an age. Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash The Dookie Radio Show, The Dookie Radio Show. The thin white Dookie is right. Click your way to the Dookie Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com 
forward slash the Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. <laughs> <laughs>